Sophie Hagen and you are listening to the Made Up Human podcast or in short Mopad. It's a podcast in which I speak to nice people about life and about how to do life, how to exist in life and how to be a proper human being and if they don't know how to do that we'll just uh, chat and try and not feel <laughs> so alone and weird. And this week I am speaking to Ben Bailey Smith. You might know him as Doc Brown and he's incredibly cool and this is this episode i can't even be i mean wow. wow wow look forward to it i'll let you listen to uh, our chat in just a tiny bit first you should know i'm going on tour i'm a stand-up comedian if you didn't know and i've written a new show it's my third ever show i love it it's great there's a trigger warning it's about emotional abuse so you should know that before you go and see it uh i will be touring this autumn i will be in Peterborough. I'm sorry, I'm about to butcher the names of every single uh, place in the UK. Uh, I will be in Peterborough, Winchester, Liverpool, Fareham, Coventry, Swindon, Leeds, Glasgow, Aberdeen, Nor- Norwich, Kendall, Milton Keynes, Bath, Aldershot, Maidenhead, Newcastle, Newport, Leicester, Manchester, Oxford, Bristol, Hull, Bromsgrove, Stockton, Cambridge, Colchester, New Milton, Reading, Whitehaven, Aberystwyth. Sorry for the drool. Aberyst, Northampton, and Canterbury. Or Canterbury? Who knows? I'm also taking the show to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival this August, where I will be at the Bethlehem Theatre at 2pm every single day of the Fringe. It's not a free Fringe show, so you have to buy tickets in advance. Uh, I'm also doing small shows in London, and you can go to sophiehagen.com, that's S-O-F-I-E-H-A-G-E-N, for the tickets for all of these things and more information. And while you're there, you can sign up for my newsletter and be told whenever I, you know, I, I add more tour dates or... Something else happens. Oh, I forgot to mention I'm in Denmark as well. I'm going on a Danish tour uh, of uh, Copenhagen, Aarhus, Odense, Olbo, and Espia. Everything's on sophiehagen.com. So, before I let you listen to this episode, we shall do this week's Acts of Disobedience. This week's listener is called Anonymous. <laughs> or maybe this week's listener is Anonymous. And this is what they wrote. A group of friends and some others are in a bar. A friend of mine was talking to me about research she was doing into a documentary she's working on. The documentary is about the effects of porn. She said to me, You know, I knew porn affected people, but I didn't realize the extent. A white straight male, who I am unfortunately acquaintances with, piped up, even though he wasn't part of the conversation. It doesn't affect me, he said. Do you expect women to shave their pubic hair? I asked. Well, yeah, but that's just my personal preference. I asked him if he ever questioned where that preference comes from. You know, like maybe porn. He was arguing back until another straight white man backed me up and said, to be fair, I prefer shaved pubes because I've seen it so much. You just grow to think it's better. And then in parentheses she says, uh, funny how man one only stopped running his mouth off when another man spoke. Clearly a man backing me up pissed him off even more, so he started shouting. So it's okay for you to say you prefer a man with or without a beard, but I can't say whether I prefer pubic hair or no pubic hair. I was going to shout back until I really heard what he had just said, and I just laughed, and laughed and laughed, and other people around were laughing, and then he told me to calm down, bitch. 
Unfortunately, a security woman heard and chucked him out of the bar. It was great. You can submit your own act of disobedience on madeofhumanpodcast.com. It's my new favorite thing. Please do. I love this so much. I love you all so much. This is so funny. Uh, madeofhumanpodcast.com, where you can also buy a Mopat t-shirt. Do that. That's fun. Um, yeah. <laughs> Please enjoy this episode. This is going to be... It's intense. It's good. Holy shit. I think uh, Ben is one of the coolest people I've ever met. And I'm just inspired as fuck so please enjoy this episode with the incredible ben bailey smith well uh first of all for the people who might not know who you are Mm. (laughs) well my name is ben bailey smith um i guess comedy fans i'm sure you've got a lot of comedy fans who listen to the podcast they probably know me as doc brown which is uh a teenage nickname that became uh, a rapper name when I was when I was uh, doing my thing as a as, as an underground kind of rapper, and I just uh, I just retained it for stand up. I don't really know why it really grates with me. Like I'd much rather just be Ben on stage because oh, really? I mean that's what the act is, you know. It's not me pretending to be somebody else. So I wish I could just be Ben, but it's a bit too late. I've sort of created a brand, and now like that's that's what people pay for. They don't want Ben, so. <laughs> I just, was, I just am Ben. Was Doug Brown someone else? Like when you were on stage being Doug Brown? No, no, it was always me. I mean, I've been Doc since I was fifteen, so it's just another name. It's not a, another personality or anything like that. So you uh, do stand up and then you rap. You do yeah, the rap. I mean, it started off. The, I guess the reason I retained the name was because when when it started, I wasn't really doing stand up. I was working for the BBC. I was writing. And it was a producer from the BBC who said, you should, you know, you should do musical comedy because you can write funny songs and jokes. And I was just like, that, that doesn't compute at all in my head because I'm a serious musician. The stuff I write for the BBC, nobody knows it's me. Like, so I don't really want to marry the two. But he convinced me to come down and, and try it out. So from the very start, I was doing sort of like... Um, like improvised raps based on things the audience said you know um it's any random words they throw at me um and that was the act uh in the very very early days in 2008 um so because it was sort of rap based i just retained the rap name but then obviously over the years it went from the improvised stuff into like writing comedy songs and during that process you know i never used to really write anything for in between the songs i just talk but those bits were, for me, way more enjoyable than doing these songs that, as you know, as a comedian yourself, your material just gets older and older. It doesn't get younger. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So it bores you to tears. So as the bits in between became more truthful, more honest, uh, more insightful and, and, and funnier, it became more and more irritating to have to go, okay, now here's a song that I wrote five years ago. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Mm. So I just stopped doing the songs altogether. All I just put them all on a CD and chucked them out there for the fans. And um, now it's just, yeah, for the past sort of two, three years, it's just been me. It's just Ben, really. But I just retain the name because no one's going to book Ben. Yeah. <laughs> it's, isn't it a bit like rap is such a... That's cool, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I've, is I've comedy been, cool? 
yeah definitely you know and i think like all comedians we'd sort of play down our own coolness and we you know you kind of have to come on and punch yourself in the face and be self-deprecating for people to not think you're an, an asshole you know because essentially we're the coolest most confident people in the room because we're the only ones who would dare to get up in front of a crowd of strangers and go right everybody shut up except me and then we're up there yeah. going hey i'm such a loser no you're not like you're a hero so um i think comedy itself is is like a a, a really cool thing um i think as actual people outside of comedians we're maybe not that cool but doing comedy is cool and i think it's the same in rap i think you'll find a lot of rappers outside of the persona that they've created on record they're just the same same as everybody else but they have this little sort of secret weapon or superpower wherein they can feel cool and appear cool to other people do you know what i'm saying yes like if i I look at your photo on on like twitter i don't mean one's photo i mean your photo and you look cool do you know what i'm saying but my photo yeah you look cool I look cool. Yeah, you no look cool. No one's ever said that to me before. Well, there you go. Style. You know, because in our own heads, we're like these these douchebags that just have like a, a, a talent that we milk. But actually, once you start representing yourself in uh, all these different formats, be that your your material on stage, a TV show, or even just a photo from a photo shoot, you're creating something that other people will look at and go, "It's so cool that she's done that." You know, I like I, I want to be a part of it somehow. I want to be able to like be near her or touch her or <laughs> listen to her. Do you know what I mean? It's just that that's the nature of the game. It that's that's how it goes. You know, as soon as you create something as an artist and people uh, consume it happily, I'm afraid it's kind of cool. <laughs> I'm afraid it's kind of cool. Yeah. Do you ever find a disconnect between like having been on stage and having been this cool artist, and then you come home and you're like wiping dog poo off the yeah. every day, every day? I mean, I have children, so there's no like it's not dog poo, it's kids poo. Yeah, and there's no like cool. You know, I come home and I'm just the, the same old guy. So the, I don't live like a rock and roll lifestyle and and to be fair i don't have a desire to i suppose the irony is that i lived the rock and roll lifestyle when nobody knew who i was i just Mm. just wanted to do it how so well you know i was a i was a backing singer for a while and um i worked with some some pretty i guess like household name musicians but you know i was like the movie says 20 feet from stardom i was not the guy that people come to see but i had the freedom to live the life if when was I this? Um, yes, yeah, from like 2003 up to like early 07. Who did you? Who did you? Wait. I worked with uh, Mark Ronson, Amy Winehouse, Lily Allen, um, a whole bunch of rappers who, I guess, are household names now. Example, um, and I ran my own uh, sort of. <laughs> became a kind of high-end open mic night where we get like superstars uh, every Friday at uh, a record shop that my friends ran in Carnaby Street um, and yeah we had a whole bag of legends in there so I was just sort of in those circles you know but I had same as I am today funnily enough I have no, no desire for for fame and it doesn't 
it just doesn't drive me or, or move me. It never has done. But I love the trappings of it. Not like the being spotted in the street or being bugged by strangers or having stalkers. I mean, like, you know, just, just like today, walking into to this lovely venue for the podcast and dudes like, you know, I, I walk in, I can't see you. So I'm like, oh, this is going to be awkward. I'm going to stand around on my own. And straight away, a dude from the bar is like, hey, Sophie's going to be out in a minute. Can I get you a drink? Make yourself comfortable. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No other no other place I walk into to the people just go, hey, you know, <laughs> let me get you whatever you need. <laughs> I, I love that side of things. Um because and, and I'm a the people. And the pe- that's what I love is that you get to work with yeah, just the you, most incredible yeah. talents and and you learn a lot about um human nature more than more than people outside of show business would believe. I think mm. a lot of people outside of show business think you're in some ridiculous bubble you know people often say to me oh you probably wouldn't know anything about that and I think what like, well, why not what like how crazy do you think my life is you know I still do normal stuff um I think you actually you have time you create time to learn a lot about human nature because almost every day is different and with different people mm. and one of the other huge bonuses is you get to see behind the curtain so to speak with a lot of things so you know for example i've worked very closely with ricky gervais for five years and i I, throughout those five years i've heard stories from other people sometimes even other comics but mainly you know civilians or whatever you want to call people who aren't in show business (laughs) normal people who say oh yeah like i heard he's a nightmare i heard he's this i heard he's that and i'm like the, what is that based on? You've n- like, you've never met the man. You know, I think I've people wanted. People wanted to. Yeah, have this them, is don't what they? they desire. Yeah. and then it, it leads you down another rabbit hole, which is is the press and the media, and how information is shared. When you're behind that curtain and you're in show business, you really start to smell bullshit mm. early. Yeah, you know, people say. You know, I, I hosted um, uh, a BAFTA event in LA. It was the first time I'd ever been to LA last last October, first and only time. And I had to interact with, you know, genuine, like, superstars. Samuel L. Jackson, Jake Gyllenhaal, Damn. Jennifer Lawrence, you know. I had to do gags in front of them, about them, to their faces and make Shit. eye contact. And then meet them afterwards and whatnot. And, you know, even the organisers there, there was, there was people telling me, oh, you know, be careful with Sam Jackson, he can be really salty, you know, blah, blah, blah. I met the dude was like... It was just lovely in yeah. every way. And and he didn't need to be. Like, I was nobody. Do you know what I'm saying? He could have brushed me off. But at one point, he has needed to be, right? Like Yeah, that's the thing. Like, we all at some point... Have had to be nice to someone. Otherwise, yeah. we wouldn't be where we are. Totally. You know, if he'd been a nightmare to work with when yeah. he was starting out, he would never have... To, but it's the, the problem is, Sophie, is that that is a boring story. So mm. we can be nice 364 days a year. But that one day where you know the doctors just told you you've got to have a toe amputated <laughs> and your day's been completely ruined and you come out of the surgery and you know you hail a cab and then someone spots you on the street and's like hey can i get a photo and you're just mm. like this is not the time mm. and you get in the cab then they're like oh yeah he's he's like that yeah and that's the story that will spread quicker there's no stronger words for the population outside of show business about show business then I heard he's a prick. Mm. That will that will travel way faster than. Oh yeah, she's really really nice. That's boring. Yeah, it's boring. boring. So you know, I just I, I got to a stage now where I'm a bit like, ah, whatever, man. Like, yeah. 
I don't need new friends, <laughs> you know? If I meet people and they're cool in show business, outside of show business, then fantastic. But if I meet people who've got some, like, I don't know, bugbear or, like, they want to focus on the negative, then I'm just like, you know what, you do that, man. I'm, like, I'm really, I'm, I'm okay without your input. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I also feel like that's quite a cool thing to say. Uh, what, for, for me to cool, react like that? That's cool, oh, and totally. that's cool. But to you, be you able must... to... You must. Do you say cool or cruel? Oh, cool. <laughs> cool. Cool. Not cruel. Yeah, because I was just thinking, like, I don't deal. I don't have to deal with any shit on social media, like ever. And I'm I'm very fortunate for that. I don't know why that is, but I'm not. I could maybe I could be more confrontational, but you know, I scroll through your Twitter, and mm. you have to deal with a lot <laughs> of shit, yeah. like a lot of shit. Yeah. You know, um, and I'm. I have no doubt that there's um, there's a, a, a sort of gender political element to that mm. because people don't like women being too mouthy. That's mm. just the I'm way of the world. In general. You know? Um, yeah, I was just having something to say <laughs> yeah. in some, some kind of independent thought. Um, but yeah, like that stuff, I, I just, I'm so impressed by, by you and other people that engage with it without getting up visibly angry and just like they bat it away in, in clever and funny ways but I just I just wouldn't have the energy it's, as soon as that happened to me I'd, I'd get off Twitter I just I'd, not because I'm thin skinned but because I just don't have the energy I don't have the energy to argue with with idiots no How, but you, I mean every yeah, time you do it there's a very strong point you're making yeah so maybe that's why yeah, I, but I am, I am confrontational. Mm. <laughs> I'm quite... And I, I, think my, I think one of the reasons they're getting upset is because they, they start to notice my pattern, which is when they say something, I just scream louder. <laughs> and then I just I go... You know, I can go from making a, a fair, realistic point mm. and say, oh, actually, sometimes maybe... Could there maybe possibly be a tendency to maybe terrorists are sometimes mostly kind of men and I then saw they that, I saw screaming. that specific tweet it, which is that, very very good but that will end up being me saying all men are trash because yeah. that's where that's what they're reading into that thing mm-hmm. so instead of saying no no I'm so sorry what I meant was of yeah, course yeah. I just go the other direction yeah and go, sure because you're constantly getting pushed into a corner yeah and it, you know if it was a physical they, yeah. altercation eventually you just have to kick them in the nuts <laughs> yeah but also they you cannot know? they can't think that I'm touched by it because their opinions literally do not matter. Like, it does not matter. Yeah. It does not. It's annoying because, mm. like, there was the article about because apparently was it Bette Midler who'd also written a tweet about how the terrorists were men, mm-hmm. and then there was suddenly an article that said um, Bette Midler and Sophie Hagen uh, are deeply embarrassed because it was revealed to them that there are also female terrorists. And all of a sudden, my name was <laughs> yeah, next to Yeah, all Bette you were Midler. thinking was, in showbiz terms, that's me and Bette Midler, top, top billing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, oh, what? <laughs> it sounds like me and Bette Midler met up and had, like, a coffee. And I was yeah, like, oh, I love that. Bette, it was so embarrassing, wasn't it, when we tweeted that wrong thing? <laughs> but actually, we're just rolling around in our, like, success, being like, fuck these yeah. people. Yeah. But well, I'm, I'm kind of surprised you don't get... Because like racism is a thing. Yeah, no question. You know, and I, I, I'm, I'm vocal when I feel like I need to be. But at the other, the other end of the scale, I don't feel like. I mean, do you feel like you represent women? I mean, I feel like that's being put upon me a lot. Same. 
So I just got asked yesterday, I won't say what show it is, but, you know, popular television show, and this is the hundredth time this has happened, not from the same show, but different TV shows, asking me to come in and talk about race. I'm like, ask, like, an expert. Like, ask, ask somebody, it could even be a white person who's just really fucking well-read mm. on race, you know? And this has happened to me my whole life. I, re- I remember, and I, like, I'm a comedian. Like, wh- mm. Why should I be sat on a sh- TV show talking seriously mm. about race, mm. you know? Like, obviously I have opinions, but why do you want to hear it from me? Do you mm. know what I mean? Like, yeah. I remember being at university and I was... St- did a course for a term in um, uh, like the history of uh, American civil rights mm. and it was a really good course and it was run by this guy um, who was a published author as well as a, a lecturer he had photos in his office of him marching, he was an old, old guy you know. he had photos of him marching alongside Martin Luther King and stuff, but he's a white dude and I was the only black person in the class right and if I even so much as like cleared my throat, you know, he go, whoa, 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 whoa wait, 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 <laughs> Ben, <laughs> what's what's your opinion on this? And I'd be like, dude, I'm just black. That's all I'm bringing to the table. Like, I'm I'm probably got the lowest grades in this class because I was just such a, you know, I was such a skiver. You know, I was always skiving off work and stuff. And I did. It's just so embarrassing. You're you've written books on the subject. You know what I mean? You, you've had tea with Martin Luther King like you are the authority what made you pick that class I was always fascinated by um, by civil rights and American history and I've always felt like a part of weirdly major like major history British and, and international because you know my dad my dad was on the beaches at Normandy on D-Day which is you know sort of widely recognised as the battle that essentially tactically won the war I mean it, it's not a small thing um, my mum travelled over um, as part of the, the sort of latter stages of like Windrush is, is the sort of most famous journey from the West Indies to to the UK she was in a, in, in a later wave um, 15 or so years later but um, very much a part of that uh burgeoning West Indian community in London that dealt with their own sort of civil rights struggle you know and then as a couple a generation in age between them you know they fought um, the, 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 the incessant sort of racial bigotry and harsh sort of austerity politics of, of the late 70s and the early 80s you know um, whilst having me and my sister um, so I've always felt and I know my sister feels the same like not that we've got something amazing to say to the world but like that we're the product of something sort of bigger and, and significant do you know what I'm saying mm. and I think that's why we both became storytellers mm. yeah. wow so you had stories from just a lot of stories there was always a lot of stories in in the house and um you know it it took a long time to piece everything together because our parents didn't tell us everything and i i feel the same as a parent i don't tell my kids absolutely everything there's there's certain stuff they need more reference they need more life experience to be able to put those things in a 
a sort of mental and emotional space where they can understand mm. it and, and deal with it on a, on a, on a deeper level. Um, so, perfect example of that would be the the D Day stuff because we knew that our dad fought in the war, but we didn't know to what extent. You know, we didn't know anything about it because he wouldn't talk about it. But then on the 60th anniversary of of D Day the British Legion were looking, actively looking for survivors um, so they could have uh, a, a series of events around them. Um, and um, so we were contacted, they were looking for Harvey Smith and we just assumed it was somebody else, you know. Because he, he'd given away all his, his medals and his, his uniform and stuff and he didn't go on any of the parades after the war. But um, they came around and it was him and they reinstated his medals and my sister you know at this point in 2004 around about this time June um, she sat him down and she was already a, a wildly successful novelist at this stage three years into her career um, so she sat him down with a, with a dictaphone and interviewed him for, for weeks you know and wrote an incredible essay about him that um listeners of this they should really look look out for it um, because it's it's quite uh, an unbelievable read um, it's called My Father the Accidental Hero it's published in the Telegraph uh, around this time in, in 2004 but it's still you can still find it very easily online um, by Zadie Smith and um, you know that gives you a sense of you know when you think about your existence as a, as a human being you're, you're constantly thinking you flip between this is like being alive is immensely profound and being a human being is immensely profound you flip between that and what the fuck is the point like I just eat shit and die like there's, <laughs> this is just a point it's pointless being alive there's no point to anything so it's always nice to have something in your life I think that makes you feel like either I can do something profound or maybe just my very existence has has meaning you know you've got to sort of cling on to something haven't you because ultimately I think we all know that the latter is true we just you know we're just the products of you know copulation and then we just return to the dust don't we but um well I mean you mentioned people like Martin Luther King and I mean there are people who make their own Meaning, because like both your parents so, yeah. sound like they were resilient. They sound like they were, yeah. like they were fighters. I yeah, guess very much so. Have you gotten some of that? Yeah, I think I've got loads of it, and I think my sister has, and I think my younger brother has it too. We all three of us, we don't, we just believe like we can do it. So like stand up, I did it without ever really having watched stand up. I always loved comedy, but I watched like sitcoms, you know, mm. and comedic films. I never watched stand up really understand it I, I still don't really understand it I don't I don't I don't get it like it's quite annoying <laughs> do you know what I mean like just that one voice for ages I think in small doses it's great but I don't understand the hour thing um <laughs> I just no um but yeah for a lot of people that would be like the ultimate sort of nerve-wracking thing but for me I was just like this guy said try it I'll I'll try it you know I've, I've I've never looked at anything and thought I'm definitely definitely going to be terrible at that. I always think 
if I put my mind to it, I, I think I can make it happen. And it, I think it's based on the fact that, you know, my parents fought for things that were more like life and death. Whereas doing 10 new minutes of stuff about <laughs> your life and <laughs> how, how your day was yesterday and people may be laughing or maybe not laughing just doesn't feel that perilous in comparison do you know what I mean so I just I've always had a sort of ah fuck it give it a bash type thing and I think that's got gotten me a long way in showbiz because what they're always looking out for is like unlimited confidence mm. and I wouldn't say I've got unlimited confidence by any stretch I'm, I'm plagued by insecurity and, in, in, and anxiety and always have been and depression but there is a world for me where I feel like unbeatable and fortunately for me that is entertainment you know my life makes the most sense when I'm just sort of up there like trying to make people laugh or or make them feel feel something or you know I in those situations I seem to know what to say and do but like in my actual life everyday life is the complete opposite but I don't think that is unusual I think mm. I, I think a lot of artists have that yeah I think to some extent you're right but depression depression anxiety and insecurity are three very big heavy words yeah no question and um, you know I've I've received treatment for, for them um, but you know they're, they're ongoing things and as I've got gotten older I've realized that um nothing is is none of these these symptoms need to be infinite they don't, they don't and and nothing in life emotionally needs to last forever it, it, there's decisions that you can make and i know it's hard it's really hard especially when you're in it to 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 see it but it's true there's decisions that you can make that can begin a process of recovery and um if I've learned anything, it's that happiness is is a fleeting emotion in the same way that sadness and, and, and devastation is. It, it, when you're in it, it might like the, the the sadness and devastation. It might seem like there's there's no way out, but there, one day you'll wake up and you'll feel guilty for being happy because of the devastating thing that happened two weeks ago. You'll feel guilty for being happy, but you feel happy and you can't say exactly why. And then that happiness will pass and fade and, and you'll feel low again for a bit and then that will pass and fade. And, and, and the more ups and downs that I have in life, the more I've just realized that there's no nirvana. There's no like house, kids, amount of money, amount of professional success that buys you this endless happiness. It just, it doesn't exist it comes and goes and when it's there you've just got to embrace it with everything and make the most of it you know and if you can do that then in the darker days you'll go oh yeah but you know what about that time when I was I just couldn't I didn't have a care in the world and no trouble that you've got to believe that that will come again and perhaps the way to encourage it to come around um quicker or more regularly even though you can't force it is to be honest with yourself 
follow your instincts and try and do the things in as much as it's logistically possible that you love to do, you know? And that will sound like a really airy-fairy thing to say to the people listening who think, well, yes, all right for you to say that, mate. You're in showbiz and you're doing what you love. But then I think, well, to be fair, like, I got on a stage for the first time uh, as a professional making, you know, making a living from comedy when I was 30 years old. Do you know what I'm saying? Before that, I was not famous. I was not making a living from show business. I was, you know, I was a youth worker and uh, I was running youth projects for kids. That's what I did. And I've been doing that since since I was a teenager myself. Um, it's not necessarily what I always dreamt of doing, but I still found a way to seek and find happiness and enjoy it and I found elements of that job that could make me elated in a way that nothing I've done in show business has so really it all comes back again to that decision that you've got to make with yourself and that's, that's, the, that's about being honest with yourself that's about actually stopping bullshitting yourself it's one thing comedians are very very good at is bullshitting other people very good at it um at, at the very worst, I'd say we're exceptional liars, but um, that's extreme. I think on on a base level, we're good at bullshitting people, and um, that can be a dangerous habit because you can start bullshitting yourself, and when that happens, you can really lose track of who you are and what you're about, and then also how you treat other people, and. Uh, that's that's a slippery slippery slope definitely i've had times in my life where i've definitely sort of started thinking like i'm sort of like the star of like my own movie like that's how my life is do you know what i mean mm. and all these other people are just sort of like cameos you just like cast some of them and then you don't really like what they brought to the table so <laughs> it's like they'll kill them off in the next scene <laughs> you know and they're like no they're fucking people just like you with the same hopes and fears and they're not better or worse than you. They're exactly equal, no matter who the fuck they are, you know? When I was sat backstage at um, this thing in L.A., shitting myself about going on, Tom Hanks walked in with his, like, makeup designer, you know? And I was the only one in there, so he just made a beeline for me, and he was like, hey, I'm Tom, you know, and how are well, you doing? What's your name? Well, are you working here? Blah, blah, blah. He just started talking to me. <laughs> this Hanks and you know he, he sat in the chair with his back to me and I thought like that would be it while he's getting his hair done and whatnot. but yeah he just carried on for 10 minutes until the stage manager called me to go up warm friendly on the level and I'm not saying this as a showbiz story what I'm saying is I instinctively felt from him that he holds very dearly onto something that he would have learned as a child from his parents that everyone is a person and no matter who you think you are when you lock eyes with a person or you have a physical altercation with a person or you know you come face to face with someone you have to treat them initially with that equality if they prove to be a fucking cock then fair enough you know but for that initial moment and I, I really felt he understood that implicitly. You know, I guess it's... We have a weird way of pretending that other people don't exist. 
Why do you think that is? Is it because we need that? Yeah, I think because we all... it's easier to deal with life if Yeah, it's, it's easier to feel. think of yourself as the star in your own movie and like that's what life is. It's much more complex to think I've got to share everything with everyone. Mm. Because then you're like, well, I want more than this person. And then also you think, well, if I open myself up like that, maybe this person's going to fuck me over. So, you know, we have that cynicism and whatnot. But it doesn't have to be that on that bigger scale it can be little little things that uh, become levelers between human beings for example you know people will tell you perhaps that New York is, is one of the rudest places on earth but every time I've been there my, my sister lives there you know so I, I go out there a lot to see my niece and nephew and, and see her every time I've been there when I'm in an elevator as they would call it a lift um Everybody, no matter who they are, black, white, Mexican, old, young, they always say, hey, when you walk in, and then when you leave, they'll go, have a nice day. No, never more that than that. never happen. Never more than that. And a lot of the time, they feel like, oh, I have to do this. But the fact that they do it, is like, it really jarred me at first. I'm like, oh my God, I'm pretty, no, I don't know what to do. Um, but uh, I just thought, oh, it's lovely. We're in a fucking tiny box. Yeah, it makes sense. And we're really... Are we genuinely... Because now, every time I do it in London, I'm. it makes me laugh to myself in the lift that we're pretending that this person doesn't fucking exist. You're going to walk into this tiny space with me. You can feel my energy and I can feel yours and you're just going to pretend you can't. Like, it's actually hilarious. Mm. And we, we just carry on doing it. We just think, it'd just be easier... If I just don't acknowledge him, and we have, you can feel the tension build. You know, you're getting up. And you're like, Fuck! I've got to get to like the tenth floor. This lift's going so slow, and there's this guy just next to. You. Yeah, he's not going to kill you. He's just another human being. He's going to the eighth floor, and it's and awkward coughs, because you're and going. You're like, oh, he's going to oh, start God. talking. <laughs> going to start talking. Nightmare. You know. Um, I think the whole thing about pe- people being people. I think it's scary when you realize that you can say things and affect someone. Mm. That is terrifying because yeah. I've sometimes said something and then later realized that that made an impact, like mm. a negative impact. Mm. And I've always been shocked and I've always wanted to say to them, no, no, but it's just me. Mm. Like, I don't, that doesn't, why would that matter? Mm. Because I don't realize that I'm also a person. They've realized that, you know, if I, I can say like a little thing that I never mean, but it'll mm-hmm. stick with them. And that's yeah. what's so scary about realizing that other people totally can totally. hear what you're saying and you don't know what meaning it will take on for them yeah you know so, so you know sometimes i get emails from people and they're telling me these horrific things that have happened to them and how like the thing that i said um made them reassess this issue and and blah 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 and i think well that's not really what i meant at all <laughs> but at the same time you've got some positive effect from it yeah other times people like actually call for help like they, they are, and I just think well I'm not I'm not a powerful I'm not as powerful as you think I am mm-hmm. I when you saw me or you heard me or you watched me on TV I appeared to be the most confident person in the room you know I mean when I was I used to be on um, law and order playing like a you know a detective I was like an action hero and whenever I'd chase guys you know they do these super cuts with the music and i'd look amazing running you know but i can't run i can't like i have we have to do the short cuts because i'm just out of breath immediately i'm, I'm super unfit 
and I like when I, I look ridiculous when I run. So I had to sort of do the Tom Cruise thing of like having the, you know, the the blade hands and the the, the stern face. But I just watch it and laugh because I think, well, I look amazing. I look super powerful. But you know, it's 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 a facade. We all do things to make ourselves feel or appear more confident, and then that confidence is uh, it can be somewhat magnetic with people. I'm definitely drawn to confidence. You know, if I see someone who speaks their mind, or my favorite thing, probably the thing I'm most attracted to. And I don't mean this in in like a sexual way, but sometimes I suppose it is sexual. It's just overtly magnetic and human. Is when someone's just always the same. Mm. Like when, no matter the situation where I see them, they're always themselves, mm. and um, they always speak from the heart in a way that totally represents the person that I know them to be. That that is for me is one of the most attractive things. I, I find in, in, in a human being the flip side of that I suppose is is people who almost feel like they've pulled the wool over my eyes and you know I've met them a couple of times and they seem to be that person mm. and then an incident occurs on the third time where they had the chance to speak in that same confident way that they portrayed themselves before and they clam up you know and you think oh that's how disappointing do you generally trust people Yeah, yeah, and I think you know I've been let down by people because of that. But I, I, I refuse to sort of turn into a cynic about people. Um, you know, I meet like hardcore animal lovers who are just like animals are better than people. And I was like, well, only because they haven't got the same level of emotional depth. Mm. Do you know what I mean? They haven't got certain certain abilities. Okay, maybe like dolphins and blue whales aside, they're pretty fucking smart and 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 certain apes. But on the whole, they don't have the same breadth mm. of like um, emotional level to them. So of course they're going to seem like way cooler than us. Yeah, they're soft know? and fluffy. Yeah, yeah, and they can retain like general happiness based on like little treats you give them, yeah. you know. Wait, so, why do you meet all these animal lovers? I don't meet loads of them, but what I'm saying is... Is like, that as if it was like a thing? Did you no, convince I, them a lot? <laughs> well, I think I, I, I use it as an example of certain types of people, certain cynics who will look at the human race right. as being completely and utterly uh, sort of corrupted, right. you know, yeah, yeah. Um, morally. Yeah. And I just don't buy that. Like, for, for me, and... You know, I'm sure there's hundreds of listeners who say, "Well, you're just naive." I believe that the human instinct is is to be good, because when you're when you're good, or you do something nice, you get this kind of sort of instant karma. Yeah, you feel good. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And you just feel amazing about yourself for doing like this one good thing. Um, whereas when you do something bad, it just fucking it'll, it'll creep back up on you somehow. You know, and then there's a duality it just slowly builds and I think is that because I was raised with morals or is that instinctive and I I just have this feeling that being good is instinctive and being like bad is a bit more of a a choice but it's also <laughs> so black and white and that's so set up by even like from like fairy tales mm. to movies and to every Every fiction and art we have, it's always good and bad. Yeah. But 
someone pointed out, I don't remember who, someone on the internet, that, that how angry people get when you tell them that Hitler was really good with animals. Because mm. people want the... No, no, no. No, he no, has he, to be a monster. Yeah, yeah It's the yeah, same with exactly. these ISIS guys, you know? Mm. We want to call them monsters, and the way the papers talk about them, they're monsters, they're evil, they're like, you know, these subhuman... No, no, they're, hu- they're the same as us, man. Mm. Something fucking went wrong somewhere along mm. the way. But there's a time you could have sat with that person and had a lot in common with them, you know? Mm. Yeah, like if, if, if we knew everything about all these guys, which we never will because it doesn't benefit... The, uh, the arguments that a lot of the mainstream press will, will put together about them, mm. um, you'd probably find that like there was one dude who like beheaded a guy or blew up a building who loved Seinfeld. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, oh, yeah. that was that was his thing. Like, yeah. you know, when he wasn't making a fucking suicide vest, or maybe when he mm. was, he'd just have Seinfeld on in the background. Oh, yeah. it's the it's the puffy shirt episode. Hilarious. Yeah. You know. But as soon as you call them man, you, you can never. You can't. Yeah. You just it it has to mean that all they did from birth yeah. was just work out yeah. how to murder people no, yeah. nobody's like that unfortunately monsters have have souls just like the rest of us and have hearts and feelings in the same way that you or I I mean I had a dream last night that I murdered 16 people what? I just yeah I had like I which had like you, a submachine which? gun and I just wow. shot indiscriminately 16 people in the street why would from? my subconscious come yeah. up with that why would it do that it depends what you felt while you did it in the dream um my immediate feeling was somebody's going to find out about that at some point and then I just went on with my life but the whole time during the dream I was thinking like I fucked like I fucked my life completely at some point I'm going to get like thrown in jail or like executed and it was just this black cloud hanging over the rest of the dream and then you know the dream just became something completely there's never any like proper ending to these things but But I I haven't murdered anyone in a dream for a long time I don't think I don't know why that happened. <laughs> I had that. I had a dream that I killed someone, and oh, that was horrible. also the exact same. Was my me going? Ugh, I have to move. I guess. I guess yeah. I have to go on, <laughs> yeah, to go on the run. <laughs> oh, there's so many people That's to so tell. That's so annoying. <laughs> but yeah. that because I talked to my psychologist at the time about it, and uh-huh. so I was like, oh, it turns out I'm a murderer, and she was like, no, 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 it's it's the it's not that. It's your brain needed a reason to process those feelings of ugh. There's a lot to deal with now or the shame or the fear so your brain just went right what would what would create that feeling oh murdering a bunch of people oh now we can deal with this feeling of of uh oh shit my life's ruined Mm. which is actually okay (laughs) which is actually based on you know at some point it could be anything from like you dropped your kid's lunch and now Mm -hmm. you had to make a new one and Mm -hmm. there was like a tiny bit of your brain that went oh fuck i just did something that shouldn't have done and your subconscious just and it goes, no, no, we need to deal with this and now we'll murder wow. 16 people. That's fascinating. I never talk to a shrink about dreams because, like, when people talk to me about dreams, I'm always like, oh, God, this is really <laughs> tedious. Maybe they just don't fucking mean anything. But that is interesting and it makes a lot of sense yeah. when you say it like that. It's almost like a feeling or a, oh, like your, your, your subconscious is trying to deal with this while you're because you're not going to do it so Mm. I guess we have to do it for you that's that's another very very good point like my subconscious definitely goes oh for fuck are you serious are you really not going to deal with what you did you know what you did and now you're pretending you didn't do it yeah alright alright okay alright you just go about your go about your day in a couple weeks (laughs) when you go to bed drunk I'm going to fuck with you in a way that you cannot but you're not ready you are not ready I'm going to terrify you (laughs) <laughs> so you you feel shame 
You felt shame? With this particular... I think with this one, it was something about fear of, uh, like, the consequences of losing control. Right. I think this was it. I think this was, like, I I don't remember. It was, like, because it was during a long, like, therapy, uh, like, a couple of years of therapy, so my brain was all over the place. But mm. I think this particular one was, I was afraid of losing control because then what would happen? And then... So do you feel like you're one of those people who has to retain emotional control at all times oh I have no choice but to I can't I can't let go what about drink and drugs well I don't really do drugs okay I drink but I, so, I, so you're I, not one I, of those drinkers who is like oh just gets out like you no, know I, wasted I genuinely think there's nothing that I wouldn't do sober that I do drunk mm. I would just because even when I'm drunk I go oh well just do it like People mm-hmm. know you're drunk, so you can do it without being. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the, the only difference, though. right? Yeah. yeah. I have extreme control, too much control. Hmm. I'm very I'm very curious about trying, to, because of that, trying some some drugs to figure out if it mm. would shock me out of it or if it would be like the worst experience in my entire life. I think if you have the right guide, I mean, um, and this show is not. Is it sponsored by anybody? No. Okay, fine. So I don't need to uh, mind my P's and Q's. I would say if you have uh, a, the right mentor and somebody who's um, not there just specifically for financial gain uh, and has a good knowledge of the type of person you are, as well as a fantastic knowledge of a variety of drugs, then it's worth trying. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think there's um, there's certain experiences you can have with certain um, substances that if it's not just about like hey partying or sex or you know music like you can you can really search quite deeply within yourself and yeah. have almost like waking dreams wow. um, oh, with a lucidity that you can part control partly not but they all it's all coming from your brain it's just been stimulated by this particular particular substance um so yeah you know there's definitely some exploration to be had there but then you could say the same thing about meditation probably and, uh, and therapy and therapy and therapy I, if, if you're honest with yourself that's oh i saw i, I, I just, mean i spent ages lying in therapy What's the point in that? But then, okay, so I, I'm just seeing a new therapist now, and the very first thing she said was, you know, tell me about your family. And the first thing I said was, well, my dad wasn't around when I was a child, which I th- I think that really hurt when I was a child. I mean, I'm okay now, but and she went, are you? And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> and did you cry a lot in like the early sessions? No, I don't. No, no okay. I don't cry. You're not really a crier. Not, not in front of strangers. I would also. She's quite tough. She's very tough. So I, w- I would feel silly crying. <laughs> but she's really cool. Mm. I asked her if I could talk about her on stage, uh, and I, I felt really bad about asking her. But I was like, I, uh, I just talk about a lot of things, and I might want to. Is it okay if I just mention? And she went, um, "People have written plays about me. People have written mm. books about me. Do what you want." Wow. Right? I was like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah, she's really tough. Yeah, that's amazing. But that's the thing. I, I didn't. I thought I knew everything. 
I really thought that I'd figured everything out and knew everything about where I was mentally. Mm-hmm. And then she had to say one thing, and I thought, oh, oh, I've never really considered that that was a thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I still don't really feel like I know myself fully. Um, I think it would. I think it just takes time. You can't just be sorted. Like you can't just be like, oh yeah, this is me and this is what I'm about. These are my exact likes and dislikes. And this is all I want from life and this is all I need. You know, the only people who say shit like that are like 21. That's why they're 21 because they're idiots. So but that's a duality again, isn't it? When people, say, I think there's something comforting in saying to someone, "What's your favorite album?" and people saying, "Oh, it's this." Yeah, and <laughs> as as if that's. I cannot imagine that being a thing. Yeah. Of course, it would be a different album at different points in your life or your uh-huh. mood or yeah. of what you're into that day, yeah. what you've just listened to, what you're experiencing. I got asked to do this thing where I'd, I'd get up and do, not stand up, but like talk in an entertaining and sort of funny-ish way, I guess, but mainly in a heartfelt way about your favorite song of all time and how, how it's, why it's so profound, why it moves you so much. It's like... One, one song like, I, just, I don't even know where to begin with that yeah I just can't do it it, just does, it doesn't make sense to me like I listen to in completely different genres of, of music depending on what I feel like when I get up yeah surely surely everyone I assume yeah. you know that's uh, not it feels so normal everything on your iPod is a song that you personally curated and yet you put it on shuffle and a song will play, oh, fucking hell, who's put this on? Why is this? And then another day it'll be like, yes, this, is, this is the one I want to hear, like on repeat. Yeah. But that is music, that's art. Yeah. I can't think of a single comedian I want to see every single day. But every one of them's got something that's going to speak to me yeah. at some stage because of what I'm going through emotionally. And that is what art is. It's, it's there to be consumed as and when you fucking feel like it, you know? I feel like that goes back to the whole is everything meaningful or is everything meaningless mm. kind mm. of it's, I mean it's a huge huge question because it's especially in our world of, of like comedy you just think well, I'm putting everything into this but who who really gives a shit do like, I even give a shit like what's it what's it doing like how how's it helping you know and I especially feel that when I, I come across people who I mean, I remember one time doing this gig in Bristol and a guy came up to me and just said, I don't, I'm just so in awe of you. I don't know how, I just don't know how you have the balls to, to do what you do. I just, I just can't imagine it. And I was like, I sh- dude, everybody has a job that they, uh, uh, you know, they work hard at to try and be good at, you know? So it's just, it's just practice. I mean, like, what do you do? And he goes, well, I'm a surgeon. And I was like, what kind oh, of surgery? Shit. He goes, I'm a heart surgeon. I was like, get the fuck out. <laughs> what are you talking about? You've got people's lives in your hand. You're saving lives with your skill. Holy shit. Do you know what I mean? I'm literally, I've never saved a life with comedy. Do you know what I mean? It's just, you know, I guess we, we, we are in awe of um, what seems to be a, like a standout uh, ability in a room, you know, no matter what it might be. It's like when you just see someone like backflip and you're like, fucking hell. Dude, just backflip. Did you see that? You know, it's just every room has, has an expert in it, something. It's just how you view that thing, 
you know and uh, for a heart surgeon to think that what I do is like above and beyond the call of duty it just sort of sums up how maybe I don't want to cast aspersions on him but like how how little we think of ourselves man yeah I mean I'm not a fan of myself are you a fan of yourself I mean that professionally and personally Fan, mm. Like, I have had mm. a long, long, long period of self-loathing, like, for much longer than I've liked myself in my life. Professionally or... Personally, uh. and, and uh, professionally is less, less intense, I'd say, because professionally you have validation. Mm. So people will just go, that's fucking amazing. And mm. you'll go, ah, okay, I'll take that. Yeah. I think it's okay. I think it's it's above average. So you mean like it's like <laughs> it's personality wise, you've self loved uh, it. But yeah, as like on a personal level, yeah, totally. Like I've never, never been a fan of myself, and I think that's probably why I've become successful in inverted commas as as a as a performing artist or as a performer, as an entertainer, because you don't need to be Freud to 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 work out that someone who is not the biggest fan of themselves might require other people to be a fan of them you know but also it's not you're rocket kind science. of overcompensating a bit like it's oh, not massively. enough yeah. you couldn't just be massively. happy in a normal nah. job nah. because you have to be nah. really really good and I was good. close I was close when, when I when I stopped doing music and uh, started distancing myself from youth work I, I was looking for a job uh, I was close to getting an interview to be a spokesman for um, a charity called Kick It Out which is like an anti-racism charity in football and I love football I hate racism <laughs> do you know what I mean and I love talking so I thought maybe I could mature into that you know there's still an element of performance and there's these other things I love and I was close and then comedy f- fell in my lap so it's not something I haven't thought about, but I think deep down, I always knew it was not enough validation being a youth worker, even though there's an element of performance in that. It wouldn't have been enough validation being a spokesman. I had to have a moment where it was like, this is what I've created. I'm going to share it with you. And I hope to Christ, every single one of you likes it. That's why you hear so many of us comics say, I just didn't feel I had everybody. And, mm. and you, watch, you watch their gig and you're like, dude, there's 300 people in there. 299 of them are laughing their heads off. They're just focusing on that one guy who's not laughing. They can't help it. It's just like, why, is, what's his, what, why doesn't he like me? What's his issue I think I'm with all, me and my act? I'm, all, I'm always that guy. So even if 300 <laughs> of them were laughing, I'd go, yeah, but I didn't love it. <laughs> Like I, I was also watching. I was there. I was mm. on stage, mm. and I wasn't. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have laughed if I was in the audience. Wow, which is part of the self-loathing, isn't yeah, it? Like that definitely. high, high standard of yeah. never good enough. Yeah, like when people say to me, "How do you think that went?" I'm, my, my feeling is always not shit. Like if mm. it went well, I'm like it, it wasn't shit. Mm. As long as it's not shit, then I'm happy. Mm. And when it is shit. I will qu- it's never changed from my very first gigs to now when it is shit I'm ready to quit I'm ready to quit that night mm. I'm no like oh but tomorrow I'm going to come back even stronger I'm just like no, I'm just not doing it I'm just not doing it anymore there's no fucking point 
There's a question I <laughs> always there's a question I always ask, which is which I, I'm really curious about what you're going to say. Um, so this is a situation. So there's like a civil war happening. Mm-hmm. We're back and like there's like a dictator. He's taken over the the country with his army. He's killing a bunch of people. Where are you? Are you have you joined him? Have you are you completely neutral, keeping to yourself, or are you part of the resistance? Wow, what a great question. And it's not something I haven't thought about before. Really? I, I sometimes think about it in, in terms of Nazi Germany. You know, and you hear about people pretending not to be Jewish in order to survive and whatnot. And it makes perfect sense. Mm. Um, and I also think about it in terms of natural disaster, like quite a lot. And I think a lot of the time I think about it because of my children. Like before I had kids I, I was always very much like let the fucking world burn and I'll just mm. like burn with it you know whereas now like I watch some terrible disaster film and all I'm thinking is how would I get my kids out of there like what levels of sacrifice would I deal with and um, the scary thing about this, the civil war question is like how far would I go to make sure they were okay not for myself I think if it, if it was just me one I would be in the resistance without even think of, thinking about it. I think I'd be happy to to fight and and die for for something I believed in. But that's because it would be on a personal level. It would be a, an absolute sort of shunning of my dad's legacy to do anything else. I'd have to be at least as brave as him, otherwise I wouldn't be able to look myself in the eye. But with dependence it's just it's so difficult to say like if 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 i was on like a kamikaze mission i don't want to bring my kids with me so mm. if there was a way to weasel out of it and like roll with these fictional like nazi isis <laughs> <laughs> Viet Cong guys uh, and keep my kids safe i suppose i'd oh jesus i suppose i'd consider it mm. i'd consider it maybe take them down from the inside somehow Mm. So that's another question. If you if you were on your own and you were part of the resistance, mm. what role do you think you'd take? Because that would be like there would be spies who'd mm. be on the inside, and there mm. would be there would be like foot soldiers kamikazing their way. I'd be a really confident and reliable follower of the leader. I definitely wouldn't be the leader. Be the right hand man. I get really concerned when there's like a high octane uh, situation that needs a decision being made immediately in order to 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 avoid disaster um i i i panic um quite quite quickly and become useless i can't focus do you know what i mean so at the same time i'm a huge grafter and i'm very loyal you know and uh i'm relatively fearless so i think if as long as i had like some guy who was like here's what we're going to do it's fucking insane but here's what we're going to do I'd be like right I'm going to support you like I'm there I carry all your shit yeah I'm there just please don't get killed don't make (laughs) don't make me make a decision (laughs) I think that would definitely be me definitely be me I mean when my wife's water broke with the first kid I I just literally I ran around in a circle for ages (laughs) just not achieving anything just ran around um, when 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 my daughter was just just started walking, 
and I was like unemployed I was sitting at home she ran into the living room and tripped on a rug and cracked her forehead on the corner of the coffee table mm. opened up a big gash in her head and just this golf ball thing just started growing out of her face and um, uh, I'd just been given like a second hand car like an old golf and I hadn't learned to drive it yet and I just got in the car and drove to, I really should have called ambulance <laughs> I just got in the car and drove to this place across London where I knew they'd see her straight away like this kind of like NHS minor injuries unit where it's like it's not quite A&E but it's not it's, it, it, so it's relatively calm and, and you know you'd always get seen there'd be no like crazy cues I didn't know because I wasn't an experienced parent that if you take a kid to A&E they just get seen mm-hmm. do you know what I mean so I just thought I need to take this into my own hands <laughs> <laughs> and very likely kill both of us in a car that I can't drive that was the decision I made so there you go I don't really deal with those I'm, I'm, I think I'm a lot calmer now I mean I've been a parent for 12 years now and um, after a while you just sort of start clocking how to do things in a in, in a measured way that at the very least will make you seem like a hero to your kids you know they seem like you're indefeatable because that's how my dad felt it was only when I became an adult that I realised how many insecurities he had and anxieties and self not really self-loathing self-pity I think he had a lot of and guilt um, and you just don't see that as a kid you just see this like superhero like this huge guy I mean obviously you were you were robbed of that yourself I don't know if your mum remarried or no, you had another man was, in your life she was good were, enough for both of them Right, yeah, yeah. My mum was very similar, very, very powerful, uh, sort of awe-inspiring, refused to lose, sort of determined, feisty, just everything. She mm. was always like a, a mum and a dad. I mm. grew up with a lot of women like that, which is why. In fact, that's the only re- time I've ever received um, abuse on. On, online is when I started talking about feminism. Mm, interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's why I started talking about it. I was just like, hold on, I think, I think I'm a feminist. <laughs> I think I am a feminist. And I was like, I was looking at, it, I was looking at it, like breaking it down, looking at all the, uh, the ins and outs, the details of what what you need to believe in to be one. I was like, oh yeah, like I'm def- I definitely am. <laughs> I tick all the boxes. Yeah, I tick all the boxes. And uh, the the irony, of course, with all all the the hatred and spewed about it is is that most people are they just they don't want to say the word because mm. they don't fucking know what it means. Mm. They don't really know. And I'm always telling them like, so wait, you don't believe in you don't believe in equal rights for women no of course I do I'm not saying that okay right well that's one of the main things yeah. alright I'm just gonna let me blow your one. mind right now that's one of the main things bro <laughs> <laughs> like you know, what are you like you're, you're like Al Qaeda if you're not a, a, a feminist you know what I mean just look look, just break it down look at the word look it up let's get a dictionary anytime I don't know what a word means I look it up that's what I do yeah because words are my currency without them yeah. I literally have no career I have yeah. no power because I'm not a physically strong man, you know. So it's words or nothing for me. Yeah, um, I do the same with that. And so I just cannot just... believe how lazy people are when it comes to these simple things. You're going to have this virulent an argument, and you don't even fucking know. But they have no. They have usually they have nothing. They don't think they have anything to lose. Yeah, you know? I think so that's if you're what a man, what you know they. If, 
a lot of men don't understand how much feminism is for men as well mm. because men are so a lot of I mean men are victims of the patriarchy mm. as well because mm. they don't get to show their feelings they don't get to feel their feelings so they think it's just about women so they don't think they have a horse in the race exactly why would they care you don't need to care like I don't I'm, as a white person I don't have to care about racism of course it doesn't of course. touch me I, you know I created a, a TV show uh, a children's TV show um, that it was really important to me that the two central characters were black and um It's still running to this day into its eighth season, unbelievably. And I was asked about it um, by a black journalist saying, you know, it's, it's, it's great. It's so important for black viewers to see these black characters from an early age. I'm so glad you, you've done it for them. And I said, I didn't fucking do it for them. It's, it's more important, if anything, for white kids growing up having black heroes. And like totally, like if you were a white kid in an area with no black people whatsoever yet you grew up watching Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, you had positive black role models. So the first time you went to uni or into a job in a bigger city and you met a black person, you didn't freak the fuck out. You were normal. You reacted in a normal way as you would to any other human being because you're like, ah, oh, you know what? I've always wanted to meet one. <laughs> and, and now the day has arrived. You know? And, and, and for, for me, it was more important the other way around. I'm like, you know... Uh, uh, don't get me wrong it's, it's, it's fantastic for black kids to grow up with with their own black heroes and, on television and stuff but I think when you're in the minority or you're the oppressed party it, it's more important that it starts at home man you should have black heroes in your house and girls should have like fem like f they should have female or feminine heroes within their house first and foremost because that's that's something you can touch do you know what I'm saying it's real and actual you know no one was ever going to be as cool as Will Smith in mm. Fresh Prince do you know what I'm saying but like if you had if you had the Fresh Prince in your house just someone who you just thought this is this is a positive dude this is somebody who is winning at life despite the fact that in the outside world he's supposed to be he's not supposed to be a winner You know, that's yeah, more even, powerful than any character. And even within Fresh Prince, his hero was Malcolm X. Mm, mm. So watching Fresh Prince, you, I mean, at least I then found books about who was Malcolm X. And then There you go. There's little bits of education right yeah. there. They talked about Martin Luther King as well and marching. Like, it's a, it's a very civil right mm. uh, aware show. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And it's not really sort of remembered as such historically, but you're, mm. you're 100% right. And it, is, it really, really was always striving mm. to have, like, a, a positive undertone throughout. Mm. And, um, yeah, if you can do that without being cheesy in, in art, <laughs> that's, that's fucking great, you know. Um, Speaking of cheesy, mm. <laughs> the last question. Oh, yeah. Uh, I always ask this. So you are in the delivery room where you, you've just been born and you get to hold yourself <laughs> as a baby and little little Ben is crying because mm -hmm. that's what babies do there's light and sounds everywhere and it's scary because that you've never heard any of that before you just come out it's all terrifying you want to get back into the womb where it's safe and you you're holding yourself as a baby and you know that there will be moments in your life that are scary like in this little baby's life there'll be loads of moments that are terrifying and you get to say something because you know what's going to happen up until the point where you're at right now mm -hmm. You know, everything is going to happen in this baby's life and you can't change anything. Everything is going to be the same, but you can say something to the baby that might, I don't know, calm it down or 
prepare it in some way? What would you say to little baby you? <laughs> I'd, I'd just tell him to try love. That was all. I, that's all I'd say. Just try it. You know, because I've never, I've never ever felt happier or more secure than when I felt the love of of somebody. You know, or I felt a lot of love in a room full of people. I've never felt more confident or able to take on the world than when I felt that. You know, so I'd say try love. Like don't 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 be afraid of it. You know, just embrace it when when you when you feel it. Because believe me, I, you know, I was a youth worker for many years. I worked with kids who had never tried love. They'd never experienced it. And they had abusive parents or whatever. And they just had a horrible start in life. And they became little shits, you know. It's not, it's not a fucking surprise. Because they didn't know anything else. And they're looking for some kind of attention. So they go about it in a negative fashion. And, uh, you know, lives can end up being destroyed. So I would just always... I always say, you know, just give it a try. Don't be scared of it. Whoever it comes from. If it's real, you'll feel it. You'll feel it to be real. And people can use love as a currency, cynically, to cheat people into doing things that they want them to do. But you like to think that there's something in your heart that tells you this is right or this is wrong this feels right this feels wrong and when it feels right I would say don't be afraid to embrace it because you'll get so much more out life's one of those weird things isn't it where you you sort of get out what you put in and if you're always just on the periphery just going eh, I might give that a go maybe not it's unlikely that your your day's going to end any differently than it did yesterday and the day before that and the day before that and the day before that that day you say you know what I'm going to put my heart into this whatever it is you might come out and think fuck I really wish I hadn't done that <laughs> I just really balls it up but I think the majority of the time you'll come out thinking you know what I had a bash I put my heart into it my heart got broken but I learned something I'd like to think most of the time you'll go in there you put your heart into it and you'll come out and just think fuck that was really worth it that was really worth trying to do something brave that I, I, I hadn't done before I went into it with love and I came out feeling even more so yeah I would say try love it's really good thank you so much for doing this pleasure where can people find whatever you, what are you doing at the moment um what am I doing uh I don't know like I just I, I never do things um in the sort of order you're supposed to do them you know like I guess you're supposed to do You're supposed to get on the open mic circuit and then you start getting paid gigs and then you do Edinburgh and then you get a spot on like a panel show and then that sells tickets to your tour and then you end up doing arenas and then you're like an international comedy superstar. But I just, I can't be asked with any of that. I just, I, I just want to do what I feel like doing at that particular moment, creating it in the way that I want to create it, which is frustrating for like, my team and stuff because everybody's saying oh you should be like a massive star I don't want to be a massive star I want to I want to be able to create on a, a a level that that means something to me and other people forever you know um, so I'll do that however and whenever it it can happen um, 
the issue is that I have children to feed. So, mm-hmm. so every now and again, I've got to make a decision based on like finances. But you'll never know what they are because my face and my name won't be anywhere near them. Mm-hmm. They'll just be something that you've seen that's that's quite witty, but probably like a bit annoying. <laughs> and you just think, who the fuck got paid to do that? And it was probably me, but you'll never know. <laughs> uh, so yeah I just you know I sort of just bumble along doing things that I think are fun I just did a little TV project with Rosie Perez who's one of my heroes um, a sort of kind of comedy thriller thing um, is that something people can look up? yeah I guess it will come out at the end of the year on Sky um, right now I'm just doing some gigs with Gervais he's doing his his, his new stand up tour and I'm opening for him Um and in between, yeah, I'm just writing, writing songs and trying to come up with new ideas. I'd like to sort of get deeper into stand-up again next year because I've taken a bit of a hiatus the past couple of years. Um, and uh, yeah, just keep, keep, keep creating until I've just compl- I'm completely moribund and I've got nothing left <laughs> to say or do. By which stage, hopefully, I'll have enough money to just live as a recluse. Oh, that, that occasionally does like a, a podcast. That sounds ideal. <laughs> What's your Twitter and what like um, Facebook? Doc, Doc Brown eighty eight on on Twitter and Instagram is is Doc Breezy eighty eight. I'm not personally on Facebook, but there is a like a, a page for the fans, which is Doc Brown UK on, on Facebook. Yeah, perfect. Well, thank yeah. you so so much. No, it's been a pleasure. It's just nice to do an interview where it's not like, how did you get into comedy? <laughs> You know, who's the best person you've worked with? What's it like working with Ricky Gervais? Uh, I just don't know how many times I can tell those stories. So it's just, <laughs> it's, so it's nice to, to just have a completely different approach. I think this is a, is a great podcast. Thank it deserves, you. De- deserves to be even, even bigger than it is, even though I know it's, it's very popular now. Thank you. Yeah. That's very nice. Well, thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. Doing this uh, podcast is uh, my favorite thing in the whole world. I really, really love it. And you know what I love? I love um, like when I meet <clears throat> when I meet you people after shows and stuff. And you you always say the same thing. You always say that you can tell that I love doing it, which is which is really nice. <laughs> it's really lovely, and I really, really do. And I do. I don't feel like I can morally support me asking for money. Like it makes sense. I spent an awful lot of time and money on on doing this podcast and I think so it makes sense that I would ask for it because I love how we can you know support each other because most you know like you'll have like a Netflix subscription and you'll you know pay for music and you know you pay for the things that you consume so it makes sense I just I just don't want you to think that I'm doing this for the money because, I mean, it's not enough money that I would be doing this for the money. But um, it's just it's just a nice way of supporting the thing that you like listening to. So I want to thank you for that, for supporting it. And the support also means, you know, if you share it on social media, on Twitter. Also, a thing that you do that I love is that you, you like, tweet at the people I've had on to tell them they're amazing or go and see them at their shows. And that means the world. Because I'll get like flustered comedians uh, messaging me saying, someone said they came to my show because of my, my Mopad episode. And that, oh, that's the best. So please keep doing that. Keep being great. Um, five star reviews, all of that. And here's the thing. Go to patreon.com 
p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com uh, forward slash mopod m-o-h-p-o-d and uh, donate you can decide to donate uh, a certain amount of dollars per month you can look up whatever dollars is where, <laughs> where you are and uh, if you give more than five dollars per episode uh, it's not per month it's per episode you uh you get to hear me butcher your name isn't that fun you'll be like a friend of the podcast meaning that i now will say thank you to you <laughs> for supporting because it genuinely me- means the whole world so a massive heartfelt thank you to kathy draxelbauer robert knowles eve wingrith victoria greer marnie biles olivia hove zoe cumberland josie jane young robin capper james frew uh, Helen Galliard, Karen Threthaway, Russell Hughes, Ida Sigolasen, Lucy, Inga Ellingsen, Imogen Wilson, Maddie Searle, Justine Hughes, Andrea Papillon, Caleb Melqua, Marnex Ma Guest, Sack, <laughs> you piece of shit, Sack. <laughs> Sack, you might remember Sack from previous episodes where he called himself um, uh, Dr. Uh, Cycle, and now he's called Marnex Guest. Clever. Jessica Stuhlfire, Meg, Emma Chan, Sylvia Novak, Georgia Brown, Kathy Beveridge, Emma Walton, Andy Walker, Geraldo, Ashton Cronin, Claire, Danny Beckett, Fiona Richardson, uh, Rachel, Grace Suther, Cat Pillar, Harold Van Dyke, Immy, Eleanor, Sarah Ferreira, Eichsith, Cherie Dunphy, and Daniel Reifersch. You know the name, I can't say. Uh, you are all wonderful people. Thank you so, so much for all of your support. I want to thank Bailey Leonard for my jingle, Linda Brinkhouse for my logo, and the Phoenix Artist Club and Peter Dunbar for letting me record episodes there. Speak to you next week. Bye! <laughs>